Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today's guest is as inspiring as she is brave. She worked as a Secret Service agent during the Clinton and Bush administrations, and she was on the Presidential Protective Division for President Obama and former First Lady Michelle Obama. She was recognized with a U.S. Secret Service Valor Award for her work as a first responder in the 9-11 attacks and is now a journalist, co-host on the Bravo show Spy Games, and author. In her book, Becoming Bulletproof, Evie teaches you how to protect yourself, strengthen your mental resilience, as well as read people, influence situations, and live fearlessly. It's an honor to welcome Evie Pomporis to our show today. Well, first of all, I mean, just uh, just because the way we're talking right now is because of everything going on in our world. And I'm wondering, um, how are you coping with everything? I think I'm coping well um, and just adapting, really. Uh, but, you know, it's just really, I think, finding your your new norm and your new routine and then just accepting these the circumstances. I think that's where we sometimes get stuck if we have a hard time accepting a new norm, so to speak. But I think once you have the acceptance part down, you can adapt pretty well. So I've just kind of shifted my previous routine to this new way of doing things. Are there new things you're you're doing that you haven't done? Are you like one of the people who are like baking bread at home or stuff like that? I don't bake and it's probably safer for everybody if I don't. I know where my <laughs> limits are. Probably the, that is one of them. Um, well, I think one of the things, at least for me, I can only speak for myself, what helped me is creating a new routine. I did create a really good nighttime routine, which has helped me where I work out at night. I do my ice cold showers at night, my you know, and then I do my meditations at night. And then in addition to that, adapting to working from home and figuring out what the best way to do that is. And then something else that I, I feel that really helped me is finding meaning in helping others. So as soon as the pandemic started, I, one of the things I did was like, all right, what can I do to contribute in this circumstance? And I partnered with a couple of companies, Dunkin' Donuts, HealthAid, which makes kombucha, and Chevy, Chevrolet. And I began doing runs early in the morning to first responder locations. So hospitals, um, the National Guard, and the NYPD. And so for me, all these different shifts and changes that I did definitely absolutely helped me kind of adapt and kind of fit in into what is happening currently. Uh, there's so much I want to follow up on that, uh, including your book, which I think also covers um, some of these ideas. But I'm wondering, too, we go going back to your routine a little bit, uh, um, you say you you uh, so it sounds like you are someone who takes really good care of both your mind and body. Has that always been something that's been a part of your life? Oh yeah, I've always been super squared away because it's not true. I, you know, I don't ever want to give that stuff because then other people look at themselves thinking, "Oh, well, how, what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. It's just the way it is." I don't really have a morning routine. Mine's really a night routine. In the morning, I'm pretty much I wake up. I immediately go outside though. That's the first thing I see: sun, I see light. Even in the quarantine, I will go outside, you know, safety, of course, and I will just make sure I, I, I hit the outdoors. But at nighttime is my big routine. 
And what I've noticed too is with my nighttime routine, it's almost like you're prepping your mind and body for rest. And I end up always resting and sleeping better. And then by proxy, I wake up in the morning much better. But yeah, it depends what's happening on in life. If you're super busy, it's going to fall through the cracks. If there's a lot going on, if you've got stress happening. But when you can, if you can just at least 80% of the time lock it down and create a good healthy routine, with, which is mental and physical, you'll be, you'll be good for life. Well, and um, you were a first responder during, during the 9-11 attack, correct? Yes, yes, that's correct. And is there anything you've learned from that that would be applicable to what's going on now? They're so different because I feel like what happened on 9-11 was a moment in time. It happened and it was done and, and it only happened in a concentrated area, right? Here in New York City. And we also understood what it was. You, the enemy, so to speak, you knew who the enemy was. Whereas this pandemic is worldwide, it's affecting everybody and it's this invisible enemy, this unknown entity. And it affects people in so many different ways, not just health, but economically. So I think the level of resilience is similar, just being able to say, okay, this is a really bad situation, but I can adapt to it and, and move, move into it and kind of lean in and embrace it. And you can thrive in something like this. You could even find opportunity in crisis. Um, but I think it's just your ability to adapt and not get stuck. I think I, probably the hardest thing for, for folks is we live in the past and we worry about the future, but we don't live in the present. And so we're thinking, I wish things could go back to the way they were before, before none of this was happening, before this, and then what's going to happen in the future? And we're not really in the moment where it's like, just deal with the moment, deal with what you have right now to the best of your ability. And that, those small things, those small steps you take in the moment will eventually help you in the future. But if you try to overcome this whole thing and digest this whole thing and Think to yourself, what will I do later? It's like nobody even knows what later is going to look like. No, it's such a good viewpoint. And, you know, that does tie a little bit into your book. You have a book called Becoming Bulletproof. And I've heard you describe this book as a manual for life. I wonder if you can explain that for me. In law enforcement, at least in my career, you know, I was a polygraph examiner and interrogator. I was constantly negotiating with people. And even when I did protection with different countries and worked with other governments, again, all negotiation, hard, hardcore negotiation, but those skills transition to all parts of our lives. And so they ended up bleeding into other parts of my life. And then at the same time, when you have a really good foundation of tools that you use in your life, it also makes you a more confident person. And confidence is something I think that a lot of us want and we need and we want to know we're doing well. It also makes you trust yourself, your intuition, your instincts, and being able to gauge the paths that you're going on. So for me, Becoming Bulletproof, it's a manual. It's actually three books in one. First part's protection, and it's it's not just physical protection. It's mental protection, mental resilience, strategies that you put in place to keep negative people, negative situations away from you. And then also when they do penetrate you, your shield, so to speak, then creating those strategies to help you deal with those. And then reading people, body language, assessing uh, people, enhancing your communication skills, which is huge. You know how to talk to people and read people? You will, you will have a much smoother sailing in, in prof your professional relation, relationships and in your personal ones. And then influence. How do we sway people? 
to understand us to you know if you're trying to achieve something how do you how do you maneuver things so that you can get there so that you're not hitting this constant wall so there's a lot of you know physical parts to it but you know but a lot of it is deep deep psychological understanding of human nature and yourself i'm just there's so much i want to pick apart there but i'm curious like you, you said there's so much of this applies not only um like protection not only physically but mentally or some like the negotiation stuff you can use personally do you have like a specific thing you can think of where you had to use these skills not in the law enforcement situation or professional situation oh gosh there's so many ways if we're talking just something let's say since we were talking the pandemic let's say you're in a situation and something's bad happens ha has happened to you and you're angry and you're irritated and or you're in a situation where you're constantly playing this loop. You know what I'm talking about? That mental loop. I can't believe this. Oh, I, 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 you're describing some things that are very close to me right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I talk about uh, a concept called introducing a disruptor in your life. And a disruptor basically is when you know you're in that zone and you're like, I have to break this. I talk about strategies and ways to break it. So, so there's like three primary ways to introduce a disruptor. When you're in that mental loop and you're like, First, you, first you got to recognize you're on it. I'm on this hamster wheel. Does me no good. So you can introduce time as a disruptor where you do a, literally a timeout. And if you're dealing with someone or something, you just don't respond. You walk away. No emails, no texting, no nothing. So you get yourself in the right mindset to deal with the situation. Because one of the biggest mistakes we make is we deal with something when we are an emotional mess. Right? When we're not thinking clearly, we're completely impulsive. There's no strategy. There's no thought process. We just, boom, we go. And then we make a bigger mess out of it. So time is a good disruptor. Putting separation between you and whatever situation you're dealing with at the moment. An activity is a great disruptor. An activity can be something as extreme as jumping out of a plane, which probably right now you can't do, <laughs> to going for... <laughs> it's good, man. You do something... You do something intense that sucks you into the present moment, you forget about that problem. And then what you're doing is you're changing the, the psychology in your mind. You're, you're changing the, think of it this way, you're changing the brain chemistry. You're altering something. And now you, you disrupted the mindset you were in before. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is something I practice, which I'm terrible at, by the way. But when <laughs> I'm on the mat and I'm fighting with someone... I'm gone. I'm in the present moment. So I don't have the ability to focus on my problem. So you can even do something as doing an ice cold shower at night completely alters everything, not just my mind, my body. By the time I'm out, I feel like a whole other person. Working <laughs> out. Even something as simple as watching a movie is a great disruptor. You ever watch a movie and after that movie, you're like, man, I can go conquer the world. Excellent disruptor. Music is a great disruptor. I wanted to ask about the title. So becoming bulletproof, uh, it's a very interesting phrase if you really start thinking about it. What does that mean to you? Interestingly enough, everyone wanted to call the book Fearless. That was like the, 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 the title. Everyone's like, you have to call it Fearless. It's a great title. And I was like, but it's not true because I can't call it that because it doesn't exist. And I'm not fearless. So I can't put something out into the world and sell people something that they will never attain because it doesn't exist. So the point is fear is good. It's just making sure you're in the driver's seat when you're dealing with fear, not the passenger seat. But becoming bulletproof really resonated with me because I, I drew on my experience of being in law enforcement, being a special agent, 
and wearing a bulletproof vest. Every day I put that vest on and I understood that it protected me, but to a point. So the idea is, is like, I can't make you unstoppable, but I can make you harder to stop, similar to the vest. And then also a vest is designed, it's made up of layers of fabric. Um, the average person may not know this. It's, it's actually little sheets of fabric, one on top of the other. When you put all these sheets together, that, that's what makes this, this tough material that can actually stop the piercing velocity of a bullet. And so the analogy is with the book, it's like, there's no one gimmick. There's no one thing that I'm going to tell you, do this and you're good. You'll be bulletproof. You'll be resilient. Nothing can get to you. And I feel like that's what sometimes we're sold in society. Oh, it, you just do this one thing or these two things, it'll be perfect. It's not that. It's, it's work. And it's investing the time in yourself and saying, okay, what can I master today? To make, today I'm going to master this one thing. You do that. Tomorrow I'm going to master this other thing. And it's all these, these habits, right? These bad habits that we have that we shift them, we get rid of them, and then we create new ones. And as you do this over time, because it takes time to do this, as in you invest in yourself, then you, you become that person that you aspire to be. There's no one quick gimmick here. And that's what I really wanted to make sure people got. And I wanted to make sure it was tangible. So I didn't want to speak about things in theory. I really broke things down in a practical way so people can actually do these. There's actionable steps within the book. You found a balance with that. And, and I, I mean, obviously a lot of that comes from law enforcement. And I want to talk about some other aspects of your life too, but going back to that analogy of the, of the vest a little bit, um, obviously an important aspect about a secret service agent is the idea that you would take a bullet for another human being. How do you get your mind around that? Because it feels like our like natural like response would be to like go the other way, you know? It's true. It is. And even in, in regular law enforcement, it is. They teach you find cover, find concealment, and then engage a threat if there's a threat, right? Whereas what we're as an agent, and it's, pro it's probably the only law enforcement agency out there that's taught to do this. It's like, well, you need to, it's counterintuitive. You need to jump in front and jump in front and then even make yourself big. So it's like, you don't just jump in front of the person. You jump in front of the person, you make yourself big too. You expand your body, open it up so that you make sure it does hate you when you're jumping in front, you know? So it's, it is counterintuitive, but you know, when you're around other brave people, by proxy, you become brave. So when I was in the academy and, and then becoming an agent, when I was around other people like, yeah, man, I'll take a bullet. I'll, I'll save this person's life. One of the things they gave me peace, so to speak, is like, well, if I'm going to go, I could go saving another human being's life. Not a bad way to go. Wow. You make it sound very poetic, by the way, which is phenomenal. Um, and then I, I wonder, uh, going, uh, building a little bit about that, obviously, that's the idea we get from movies and TV, obviously, with the Secret Service. But also, there's a lot of roles you played in the Secret Service. Is there one that stands out more than the others? Yeah, but I had a you. I was very lucky. I had a very unique career. Um, the main thing is Secret Service is dual mission. They have investigations and they do protection. And again, a lot of the public doesn't know that they actually investigate people. They actually work cases. We, you know, you do arrest warrants and search warrants and you're working on task forces. So you have all that stuff. And then you do protection, president, vice president, foreign heads of state. You know, when they visit the U.S., we protect foreign heads of state, 
former presidents. The one thing that was a, a bit different with my career is that I was a polygraph examiner and interrogator, and I did the polygraph exams. And I feel that they were all extraordinary. I can't say one stuck out more than the other. Like they all had their own special uniqueness. It's like saying, what do you like better, pizza or ice cream? It's like, oh, I love them both. They're so different. <laughs> the I think sometimes when I would work cases and I would get a confession to a crime where there was a victim, those definitely you felt a level of contentment there where you're like, you know, I'm really doing justice in the world. You know, I, I help solve a case. And at the same time, if there was a suspect people, you know, police were looking at and they were like, this is a person we think did it. And then you, you interview them and you realize you got the wrong person. That too was, was, was good because you're helping clear an innocent person's name. Probably that, not that everything had high stakes, but probably that because you're really playing with the livelihood of so many people's lives. But at the same time, when I was on the president's detail full time and in the White House, I mean, that was pretty awesome too. You're in the White House <laughs> and you're thinking, man, I'm in here. You know, how did I get in here? And you're around history. You're around these people who are part of history and making such an impact in the world. And to be part of that too, although in more of a, in a background way, you're not as actively involved, right? You're there to protect and let others do their thing. That was also amazing too. I, I'm curious on that kind of detail what is that relationship like because um with the president obviously again we have movies which are kind of fictionalized a lot of that but is it a personal connection is it mostly professional it's mostly professional it is very very professional and they do not encourage those types of relationship because the minute you start getting personal you, your bff that's not the job your job is to take a bullet so how can i take a bullet if you and i are hanging out that's not my job I'm a distraction. I'm not professional. And they've got so many other people around them, their staff, their people. Now, look, granted, depending on your assignment and your position, you may have more of a dialogue, more of a connection with the person you protect. So, for example, I protected uh, President George Bush's daughter, one of the twins, Barbara. And on that assignment, I was what they call her assistant detail leader, which meant I was in charge and I had a team underneath me. And so in that situation, she and I had a much, much more closer dialogue. It was a, I don't want to say it wasn't formal, but it was a bit of a more of an informal protection environment because she was younger. It was a different situation. So in that case, you have a different type of relationship versus when you're in the White House and it's a current president and it's uh, a lot, lot more people on all sides. And this is persons whose time is very, very valuable. It's a different relationship. Fascinating. Um, and I'm going back to, again, again, I think a lot of this just because I, I think you're, I could honestly say the first Secret Service agent I ever talked to, uh, which I am so stoked about that. Obviously, TV and film, Secret Service agents, one thing we see a lot, and again, this is fiction, it's not real, is there's cool gadgets and gizmos. And obviously, we're a tech website. So I'm wondering, what kind of role does technology play in the Secret Service? Technology is huge. So I can't give too much away for the obvious reasons, but Technology was a very, very, very big part of protection and what we did. Um, cybersecurity, especially on our part, 
I mean, we were definitely teched out. We had divisions that are like super high gear teched out divisions. And um, when we would travel, for example, they, you know, our phones, you know, our, our, you know, assessing constantly our software systems, making sure we weren't getting hacked or sabotaged. Tech was huge. And thank God we had a technical division because I, that's like, I'm lucky I learned, I know how to turn my phone on. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm that person. <laughs> like, I would be like, oh, walk me through this like I'm five. What am I supposed to do with my phone when I enter this country or when I log on? Or, you know, what device are you giving me today to that I need to be careful with? So tech is huge. Um, they're constantly innovating. They're constantly working on that stuff. But private con- companies really do play a big part in that. Like the the public sector, because think of it this way, they don't have time to, they don't have the, the resources and, and the, 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 the development ability to develop their own stuff. So they usually outsource a lot of it. They'll, they'll go to companies and say, we want to use your stuff. Can you adapt and create this for us or make this more secure for us? Our radio systems everything's encoded, everything's, you know, encrypted. Um, So like very, very important. It's huge. Today, that's more important than anything else. I say, does that still play a role in your life now? I mean, because you are becoming, you are, I would, well, a public uh, figure now. Are are you careful about like encryption and passwords and stuff like that? I do my best. I really do my best. And I kind of like had to surrender some of that because I never had social media before. I was that person (laughs) like, no, social media, but I also understand it's part of where we are. And I've actually learned to not just embrace it, but value it. The ability to connect with people is extraordinary. Even with the book, writing the book and having people's feedback or questions or somebody asking me, hey, can can you explain this? I mean, you have direct access to people, which is huge. However, like I'm a huge proponent of being very careful when you use this stuff. So I'm, I'll put this out there. I'm super old school. My passwords are like, they're typic- I have almost probably a different password for every account I have. So you can imagine like how many that is. And <laughs> I handwrite everything. I don't have, I don't use currently, I don't use, you know, those programs where it's like, Hey, store your passwords here. We keep them mm-hmm. all for you. Nope. I'm not that person. I literally have an old school notepad and I hand write every single password. Cause for me, it's like, if you want to hack into my password or you want to steal my password, you got to show up to my house and get it. Well, I'm then sure. you got your jujitsu training, so I don't think we'd fare very well. No, I, to be honest, uh, I mean that's actually the that is the thing now. It's to actually keep stuff locally because most likely that person we always joke about it being like a Russian hacker or wherever they are, they are. isn't going to be in your house to get that right. But they are, and that's um, where people get mistaken. I worked so many cases of fraud, and 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 uh, we had a, an electronic crime task force. I am telling you, the people that are doing this, the majority are overseas, and you know what we can do here about that nothing. We had one guy once, he was over in Russia and he was doing a whole bunch of damage here in the U.S. electronically from his pajamas in in Russia. And we went to the Russians. We're like, can you help us get this guy? And the Russians were like, yeah, no. And he was doing serious damage in the U.S. And we had to come up with this crazy undercover maneuver where we learned, we, what did we do? We lured him to the Dominican Republic under the guise that we were fraudsters and scammers. I was the undercover trophy wife uh, or girlfriend rather of my undercover NYPD detective, which is a huge task force. And we put this whole elaborate plan together to get this guy. But he had done, I think, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars of fraud. I know that number was high enough where we did that. We lured him to the Dominican Republic, then tricked him to get on an undercover plane 
that really wasn't, and he thought it was mine and my boyfriend's, but it was really a customs border patrol. And then we brought him to the U.S. It was like this whole thing. But that goes to show you the level of, of difficulty that it is to get these guys and gals. So you have to be super careful. Be old school. Write everything down. Change your passwords. Use a VPN. Just do what you can. There's to a point you may get hacked. Just be prepared. But at the same time, too, when it comes, if there's something you want, keep it local. And if there's something you don't want to get out there, don't take a picture of it. Best advice I can give you. Celebrities ask me, like, how can I protect my photos? And I'm like, don't take any. You'll be fine. But the name of this podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. And I'm wondering, what are you so obsessed with? I guess I could say I'm obsessed with working out and I'm obsessed with eating well or trying to eat well. Because I want to be clear, I don't hit any of these out of the park. Um, <laughs> you know, but I really, I guess you could say I'm obsessed with it because I think about it on a daily basis. And, I, and before I put something in my mouth or in my system, I think, is this good for me or not good for me? And if it's not good for me, I'm like, I know this isn't good for me, but I'm going to own it and enjoy it so that the next time, you know, I consume something healthy. So I think I'm obsessed with taking care of myself the best I can because it is just, you just get one, you get one you and that's it. There's no, <laughs> there's no others. All right. I'm going to try to see if I can combine a couple of these into one, one big question here for you, but you've, you are a book author, a multimedia journalist, a TV show judge. You have a Ted talk. You're a professor at Sydney university of New York. Um, you were part of the NYPD, the secret service. Um, what do you think young you like would think of your career? Like when you were a kid, what do you think of little you would think of everything you've done? I don't think she'd understand it. Like I never knew about this stuff. Like this wasn't a world I grew up with. My parents were immigrants. They, we grew up in villages. They were super poor and un, you know, I don't want to say uneducated because I think you can not go to school and still be a very educated person in the mind, but I, she would not have understand it, understood it. I didn't even like law enforcement when I was young, a teenager. I get pulled over, I was a brat. So I don't think I would have been able to comprehend what I'm doing now or who I am now. I did love the arts, though. And so I think the one thing is I love the, the medium of television and connecting with people and entertaining people to some degree. So that I think she would have, young me would have been like, that's cool. <laughs> I, I, yeah it seems pretty cool right um okay i have a thing i do called pick one and this will actually hit a couple of topics too um where i give you a choice of two top two things it's not about which one's better or which one you like less or more it can be you can also talk it out um if you don't want to but uh, i'd like to play that with you if that's okay absolutely let's go all right so the first one treadmill or running outdoors running outdoors hands down all right iphone or android iPhone. Really? Okay. Um, this one, I, I'm, I'm just projecting that you may have met these these creatures. Buddy the dog or Bo the dog? Bo. <laughs> <laughs> I know Bo. I hung out. Bo would follow me around the White House. That dog smelled so good. His, his, his fur smelled better than my hair. Best groomed dog ever. <laughs> I would think you'd have to be. Um, I was like, I, he come near oh. me. I'm like, what is that lavender? What's that quaff? What's that smell? <laughs> oh yeah, I want his shampoo. This <laughs> <What> is <laughs> his routine. Um, okay, next one is Clint Eastwood as a Secret Service agent in the film *In the Line of Fire* or Gerard Butler in the uh, *Fallen* trilogy. 
eastward, eastward. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it seems no a little more. No offense to Gerard. Gerard's a good guy too, but eastward probably. That seems a little more accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, this is definitely a tough one, and I'm not going to apologize. I just think it might be a good to hear you talk this out. Secret Service agent or NYPD officer? Ah, oh, hard one. Because they're so different. I can't pick, man. I can't. All right. I'm gonna be, all when, right. I would say maybe um, I'll ask a thought, but that's okay. It's not like a really a or thing. But I'm wondering, when did you know that it's like, yeah, it's time to step away from the Secret Service? When is that like, is that your choice or is it mm-hmm. something you It was you're, my choice. Oh, yeah. Because I could have stayed. I could have been there and I could have retired. I was offered an opportunity by NBC to be a security analyst and, and cover news and events like related to crime and, you know, national security. And at first I was, I wasn't sure because I liked what I did. I loved what I did. I was kind of like, I have one life. Like, let me run it. Let me run through it as much as I can. Let me, let me really do it. I had no idea if I would work out or not or any of it. But in the end, you're just kind of like, I guess I'd rather be that person that's like, I did it and I failed rather than I didn't do it. And I always wonder. I want to thank Evie for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this interview, take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And until next week, take care.